And the irony, of course, is that I didn't ignore Anna. I think she ignored me. I was like, why didn't this young, pathological, lying, social climbing girl try and hoodwink me? You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Even if you don't recognize the name Derek Blasberg, you've probably come across his work at some point. As a journalist, New York Times bestselling author, and influencer's influencer, with 1.3 million Instagram followers, Derek has become a staple presence over the last 10 years within the fashion and celebrity worlds. While he is now a senior staffer at the Contemporary Art Gallery, Gagosian, and the head of fashion and beauty partnerships at YouTube, I met Derek back in the day when he was working at Vanity Fair. As a New York City transplant himself, who came up around the time that the real-life Anna Delvey was busy conning the city's elite, I knew Derek would be the perfect person to talk with me about the Shondaland series Inventing Anna. This whole story, the one you're about to sit on your fat ass and watch like a big lump of nothing, is about me. Ew, not her. Me. You know me. Everyone knows me. I'm an icon. Hi, Krista Smith. Hi, Derek. Krista always said I had a face for podcasts. (laughs) We are getting the band back together. I think that, like... We should take this on the road. Yeah, we tried to do this at Vanity Fair. I know, Fair. it was crazy. I think, you know, we we uh, we have a thing, you and I. We have um, good charisma. And I'm trying to think when I first met you. I mean, I know that there were some... I remember first meeting Derek Blasberg at an Armani event. And I remember this because... In Los Angeles or New York? In, or Los, in Los Angeles. And... I was hosting as part of a Vanity Fair, like I, whether it was we were celebrating something as we always did in those days, whether it was Young Hollywood or some specific person. And it was a dinner and I believe it was at Mr. Chow's. And if memory serves me, you introduced me to Poppy Delavine. And That's you introduced tracking. yourself and you're like, oh, you should really meet her. She's just like young and up and comer. But what I also remember is you we're very polite and you introduced you introduced yourself and you introduced me to her but you're with that night for me perfect so. <laughs> well i'm happy i'm happy is that I was... it i mean do you have another version of meeting me or no was there some other time i think every time i meet someone from any place like vanity fair it involves a party that i probably wasn't invited to that i crashed and then overcompensated by being the world's best guest so all of that tracks but I've dragged you in here happily. Dragged. Are we starting? This is this is the beginning. Yeah, we're just starting. Oh, here. This is it. We're, we've started. It's this. Hi, is Krista happening. Smith. <laughs> Hi, Derek. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. And I absolutely loved all of your commentary that you did for Netflix Q on Anna Delvey. I wish I could take credit for the title because the title is what really what really hooked me. Ignoring Anna. <laughs> and the irony, of course, is that I didn't ignore Anna. I think she ignored me or we ignored each other. This is for our listeners that don't know. Uh, Derek Blasberg is famous. I mean, famous. I, I mean, you're that. you're famous in that. Certainly in the social circles. You're a nice boy from Missouri with a dream. I'm going to tell your story. Nice boy from Missouri that never missed a day of school. 
perfect attendance K through 12, which is actually now dangerous. Right. Perfect attendance (laughs) K through 12. And he took that kind of discipline and curiosity and energy into NYU. And you were always obsessed with fashion, but had no business being in fashion. You weren't, you know, like the child of anybody. You weren't a designer. You weren't, you know in that world of how people, we, we think that they come into fashion. Even worse than that, where I grew up, fashion was not an industry. Fashion was the ball. It was Old Navy. And right. so when I moved to New York, this small town boy with big dreams, I discovered all of that that world. And you became a thing, right? And you, for me, in my my world, you kind of came up when social media came up. Your Instagrams were really funny. And you had these great, it was always the captions that made it for me, which really you are a writer. And yes. those captions were what made the image. The image, everyone would have the image. It wasn't unique, but it was what you said about it that differentiated you from everything else that was happening on social media. I often uh, look back at the sort of career arc of social media um, and how that influenced what we do. And, it, and it's fascinating. When I was young, when I was in my 20s and still trying to make it as a writer and working for, um, at this point, I was still freelance, but working for Vanity Fair or Harper's Bazaar or literally anyone who would pay me per word, there was a certain amount of condescension. Condesc- con- condescension? <laughs> Magazines were not impressed by people who had Twitter and and uh, would link their stories. And now I often think that people who still work in that area of media, who work in magazines, you're supposed to have an Instagram and post yourself and post your issue and backstage credits. So yeah, I was, I'd like to think I was a trendsetter of that. Right. Of that era and generation. And now I work and, you know, I work at YouTube. I work in social media. So it's totally come full circle. Yeah, it really has. I actually remember, so... In Paris Fashion Week, this was after John Galliano had officially been removed from Dior. I tweeted, Katy Perry just told me that Ricardo Tisci is going to Dior. It was and I was at a Katy and I was at a Katy Perry concert. It was obviously a joke and, and I don't know who thought Katy Perry would be the one to announce the new designer at Dior. And like a couple of magazines had taken it as, you know, it ran in the newspapers and I got a lot of flack for that in the early unregulated days of Social media's fake news. Mm. Anyway, yeah, so the, here we are now. Right. So we're so kind of setting that up perfectly because you were uh, amongst the who's who in New York. And you certainly, and you still live in New York. And you never left New York, actually, from the time you went to NYU. You stayed I'm all the way there. through now. And congratulations. You're now my the... longest relationship <laughs> with New York City. <laughs> with New York City. Love it. But sometimes you... abusive, sometimes supportive. It's a real journey living in that town. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> and you never ran in to Anna Delvey or Sorkin, but Anna Delvey. You never ran into her. This per- this sort of mythical creature, yeah. And so I watched. Krista, you were very generous. You you knew I was going to write this piece, and so you gave me a link to see the show before it came out. And I watched it in one day. You know, it's it's hours and hours and hours. And I was fascinated by the story. I know Jessica Pressler, who who Vivian Kent's character was based on, and she actually once called me say, do you have any information or background on this person? And by then she'd already been arrested on the cover of the post and, and the story was notorious. And I was so upset and so frustrated because no, I, I had not met her. Jessica Pressler, the writer, had cross-referenced our party pictures and she had noticed that 
Once Karl Lagerfeld did a party for Fendi and Rihanna came, it was on the top floor of one of those new hideous residential buildings in New York that are 175 stories in the sky. And she said, you were at this party and there's a picture of Anna Delvey there. It was a small dinner. I was like, I have no idea. I have no recollection of meeting this person. I've had no conversations with her. And at first I was sort of frustrated. I was like, why didn't this young, pathological, lying, social climbing girl try and hoodwink me? And later, and I mentioned this in the piece, later I became grateful that I had not been hoodwinked. (laughs) But also, um, as someone who grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and moved to New York with an empty address book and just a bunch of dreams and had to hustle for everything I had, I'd like to think I would have noticed that um, that story didn't line up. I don't know. I wonder. I, I think that I probably would have been fascinated by the did accent. You meet, did you ever meet her? No, I definitely. But I was not. I was out of New York at that time. And when I would come in, it would be for a finite amount of time and, and leave and mostly meetings or photo shoot or something like that. Right. right it wasn't right. kind of, you know, bar hopping or, or going to those but this events. This chick was at a Fendi dinner hosted by Carl Lagerfeld with Rihanna. It's incredible, actually. I think it's the accent. And I should say that Julia Garner does a beautiful job. Julia Garner is awesome. Yeah. She she should be on all the posters for Netflix between Ozarks and this show. (laughs) Give her a raise. Who's listening to this? Someone from Netflix, give her a raise. Jason Bateman, are you listening? (laughs) Who can do it when she goes, you know, to anyone park? (laughs) You said they come through, Alan. You said Reggie would help me out. There are other options. No, there aren't. I want that building. I told you I want 281 Park. It can only be 281 Park. Anna, you have to calm down. No, they're going to give my building for someone else. They're trying to make me fail. No one wants you to fail. I thought you were on my side, Alan. I am. Park. Like, it's just all of it is so good. But there's I- also now, like, um, there's, uh, I don't know if it's on TikTok or Reels on one of the short form video platforms. They have the audio of Julia Garner from Anna Delvey. And and everyone's, you know, making their own interpretations of Julia Garner as Anna Delvey or Anna mm-hmm. Sorkin. Which one's the fake one? Which one? Anna Delvey's the fake name. Yes. And and Sorkin is the is the real name. Real name. And she's in Germany now. But she was I deported. Guess, uh, yeah, this she is was crazy. deported. <laughs> she was deported. The show's delicious in that way. One, it's it's always, you know, like we said, Julia Garner is just you know, one of the greatest actresses working today. So when she goes into something, you instantly believe her, which I think is part of the success of this show and why you were able to watch all of those episodes in one day, because she's completely compelling in this character and you kind of want to know how it's going to going to pan out. But what's so interesting, the way Shonda laid this series out is it it touched all of those things that certainly were in the Vanity Fair world, that certainly were in the zeitgeisty world of like the conferences, the art world, the restaurants, where everyone wanted to be, like whatever was in page six or whatever anybody's talking about. Anna Delvey was there and the series did it. And what I loved about what you wrote is you kind of personalized all this stuff. Like I didn't realize, oh, Eleven Howard is actually really a place. And yeah. And all. actually, and, and what we talked about at the start of this thing, we talked about social media. And what's fascinating now is that you can be a young person who moves to New York or L.A. or Paris or London or any big city. And if you are savvy on your Instagram, you can see where people are hanging out. You see that, you know, Justin Bieber and Haley just left this restaurant. And what was sort of incredible about Anna Delvey is that she would identify these places, which we sort of outlined in the piece we did together for Q. And, and she 
show up at them and book a table. So we talked to Maitre D, a tip a waitress. She found out the places to go to seem legitimate. When I moved to New York, so I moved to New York in 2000. YouTube started in, in 2006. I think Facebook was started in 2003. I, I moved to New York before, I think Instagram was 2010. Can you leave nasty comments on podcasts? Is someone going to say I'm an idiot and got all those dates wrong? Anyway, basically, I moved to New York before any of those things existed. And so for for me to find out where the mover, where the moving and shaking was happening, it would have to be via word of mouth or maybe you'd read it in a newspaper. Um, kids nowadays can identify the cool hotspots almost instantaneously. And it was incredible that this that this series managed to get so many of them right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was like some legal reasoning around changing the name of 11 Howard to 12 George, but a lot of the other spots that they go to, like Lucien, the restaurant, Photographia, which is the place that Anna Delvey's art foundation was supposed to be at, that actually exists. Most of the stuff are true, legitimate locations and addresses. What about the Amish chicken at the Waverly Inn? <laughs> Anna knows that excellent salmon is at Lucien. That back in the day, the best dish at the Waverly was the Amish chicken. Not anymore. Now it's disgusting. But then, Anna knew. And wine. You can always tell by the wine order. New money always gets the most expensive bottle. Anna ordered like generational wealth. Regions, years. Anna belonged. Anna was society. Also true. Like, she knew all the right... The right stuff to say. Uh Uh-huh. It was surreal. And as a New Yorker, and I think when we watch shows that take place in New York, if they are fictional or not fictional, like I watch The Real Housewives just to see what restaurants will let those crazy ladies film in them. Mm -hmm. And when you watch a movie that takes place in New York, I think that most New Yorkers are like, oh, I know that restaurant. I I know that booth. I've been there. Oh, that's Washington Square Mm -hmm. Park. This series took all those places super seriously. And um, it's it's interesting too with the Anna Delvey Foundation, right? That she was actually on to something because I think culturally there's been this, it's always been the way in Europe, but definitely in America, this club culture of belonging to a club. It's a fear, it's a, it, it's another way to extend the, your curated life and to prove that like you've made it. It's another layer of society since we have kind of, everything has been, um, like when I moved to New York in 1990, there really wasn't anything. I mean, Derek, you've got a decade on me there. I uh, there was like a beeper and a paid, you know, payphone still, and and absolutely, you know, electronic mail <laughs> was a big deal. But I think about it when I moved from Colorado, so not unlike yourself, although I'm sure I had some absentees from K to twelve. But I was a greenhorn too, and. I loved being in New York for the excitement of it and all of that and obviously starting at Connie Nass. But what I realized upon coming into New York, and I was a child of, of, of immigrants, highly educated in immigrants, that kind of drive to get to America and the, and the way to success is education and science and engineering and those kinds of things. So definitely that was, you know, my, my siblings and I all had that kind of drive. Okay, we're, we're, we need to be better than the next generation. But when I got to New York, I realized, oh, it's all about layers. And I had no layers. I 
my last name was Smith. I wasn't related to anybody. I didn't go to Spence. I didn't have a parent that did anything. Oh, that's fascinating. It's all of these layers that New York had. Like, were you part of... And they're kind of talking about it in various shows, like the new establishment of New York. You're you're not. Did you grow up on the Upper East Side or the West Side? Where did you go to college? Where did you have, you know, your Sweet Sixteen? Where it was all layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And especially maybe in that world of my world that I was surrounded in, which was the cultural elite of of kind of Conning Nast and Vanity Fair and what we were doing. And the amazing thing that social media has done is it's democratized all of that. Now it's all about who gets the best. The post post, like what you're yeah. saying, where these people are, which also, I think, lent itself towards the scandals that have been happening in New York, too. When Anna Delvey was happening, there's all these other scandals that were happening. And now we know, I haven't watched the WeWork thing, but when all of that stuff, it's like one after another, these these kind of things have been breaking down. And so that is really interesting to Can me, Can I too. ask you a question? Yes. When you were watching the series, did part of you wish she got by with it? I mean, I was mixed on it because you're like, wow, as a woman, I'm like, oh, she's screwing over her friends that are female. Like, that's a gnarly, that's gnarly. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I love that. But she was taking it to Wall Street like she these guys that is all about layering and is a very male dominated world. She had the meaning out of her hand and screaming at them and the fake app and all that stuff. I was like, wow. So that part of me kind of loved that she was able to get away with that. I mean, she almost got she almost got away with it. Yeah. And you mentioned WeWork. They almost got away with it. There must be companies that exist in this world that did get away with it. And we just don't know it. Right. Right. What if she had gotten the millions of bucks that she thought she was going to get from Anthony Edwards, who I totally forgot about from ER? But I know he Anthony was so Edwards, good. he's so good. And then that all of it, like he's hip going to these parties, and they, which I see, <laughs> which exists. You see that a lot of uh, Wall Street, yeah. Well, you also see people who are socially not socially fluid, but socially lubricated, who will often bring in money guys who obviously don't belong there, but they're writing the check or they just want to be in the room with young people or sexy people or models or actors. And and that was one of one of her layers to Mm -hmm. to steal a term Mm -hmm. from from you. And of course, I don't think that she should have been able to prop up a business on made up numbers and bold-faced lies and a bad accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there was that moment when you sort of think this city is rigged. You need to have money to make it. And every once in a while you want to bet on a new face, someone with pluck and moxie. It's the pathological lying, I think, that keeps you from really wanting her to succeed. Mm-hmm. But both of us are... Or small town gals trying to make it in the big city. Ooh, look at all these big buildings and so many yellow cars zooming around, you know. Um, or actually, maybe that's the difference between you and I. We were optimistic and honest, and she seemed dark and tortured. Well, it seemed like she landed with an agenda. She didn't grow into an agenda. I mean, which I think something happens. You can start a certain way and you end a different way than you started. And to me, it feels like she really started on the make early on. Right. And it was just a matter of executing that. Like every single relationship was transactional from the very beginning of her landing in New York, which, which is different. And it's just seeing New York in that light. Now I wonder, do you think that that stuff is still happening in New York? Do you think a, a scammer can still do it? 
after Tindler Swindler and Bad Vegan and Fire you know, Festival, Fire Festival, inventing Anna. Do you think it's still ripe? Yes, <laughs> of course. I mean, I hope Shonda Rhimes is her eyes are open because there's going to be, uh, I'm sure, another career scam artist who maybe they won't be New York though. Mm-hmm. I feel like LA is becoming a hot spot for cloudy judgment and shady figures. Hmm. Okay, so of all the locations that, all the New York locations that happened, and also the one in Nebraska, have you been oh, to all Warren, of them? At Warren Buffett's? At Warren Buffett's, yeah, at his, his conference. Have you been to all of these places? I have not been to Nebraska for Warren Buffett or any other reason, but that's probably the only reason to mm-hmm. go. <laughs> Good stakes, no shade on Nebraska. No, no shade Good on Nebraska. Team. And no shade on Warren Buffett, by the way. I mean, I'm from Missouri. I don't think I can shade any other Midwestern Do you know that he state. eats... His breakfast every day at McDonald's. I love that. I watched that documentary. Mm-hmm. It was it was fascinating. Yeah. You know, and he still lives in that itty bitty house yeah. in Omaha. Yeah, amazing. Um, this okay. isn't about Warren. Right. Back this to is about Anna Delvey. Derek Blasberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I've been to all those places, even the the fictionalized ones. And that what was that's what was so surreal watching that is that uh, you know she was an intern at Purple Magazine. So I watched this. You know, uh, I think it came out in January or February, right? So I watched this a couple of months ago. And right afterwards, I was at New York Fashion Week. And there were people from Purple Magazine. And, of course, I had to run across and say, I'm like, have you seen Inventing Nana? Do you remember this woman? And one of the people who worked there said to me, of course we remember her. Uh, she started as an unpainted turn. Um, we then were like, oh, you know, we should pay you. Uh, I also think there were some laws passed in New York about unpaid internships. So they said, we need to pay you. And she said, okay, great. And her bank details didn't go through at Purple Magazine. Of course, this is a small this is a small fashion magazine. And so they uh, were like, oh, oh, well, you know, it wasn't. If, if someone had given faulty bank details to Condé Nast or Hearst Magazine or IAC Media, these companies, like, they would flag you and you'd have an HR meeting, but mm-hmm. a smaller magazine doesn't have an HR team. Right, and it was probably such a tiny amount, I can't imagine. I'm sure it was like $10 an hour. They're not going to yeah. hire uh, an immigration lawyer to investigate an intern mm-hmm. whose bank details fell through. And then... They remarked that she showed up every day like in a new outfit, a new Balenciaga bag. So, I, I mean, I knew the people at Purple Magazine. I went to all their parties. A.B. Rosen, the realtor, plays a huge part in this. He owned the hotel that she scammed. He owns the building that she thought she was going to open her foundation that she lost. She was very savvy because La Cuckoo, the restaurant, is part of the hotel that she was scamming in. So she knew they didn't have a card on file that was working. So she would charge her meals to the room, which is a great way to get by with... Um, faking largesse. She would invite Krista Smith from <laughs> Netflix to dinner and make it's on me. It's on my room. I already paid for it. You'd be like, oh, wow, she's generous and on the make. How do you think these hotels allowed that to happen for so long? It's like kind of shocking to me that you... It's shocking to me because I've checked in a hotel before and like the card hasn't gone through and it's like they, you know, say, we're not going to give you a cup of water until you give us a working card. So I don't know if that is gift of gab or or how she did it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Balenciaga bag at, and when she was an intern. How much did you love the fashion that was happening in the series? Well, it's sort of, you know, tricky to do fashion because this these stories are from five or six years ago. And even that whole downtown look has changed so much. I mean... Balenciaga did sort of bring back that motorcycle bag that, that was so ubiquitous at that time. 
But I mean, I think in a city like New York, what you wear is very indicative of who you are or who you are, in this case, fronting to be. I always thought like when I came to L.A., I was like, oh, in L.A., your car is your sunglasses and coat is in your New handbag. York. Yeah, like in New York, it'd be like your sunglasses, your handbag or your coat. And in L.A., it's like, oh, what kind of car are you driving? So it's interesting that they did do the great sunglasses on her and the handbags. The Valentino Rockstud, yeah. you know, the the Celine sunglasses. Also, by the way, a lot of that was, like, taken from the court documents. She, like, refused to come out if she couldn't get a Celine dress, and which is also fascinating. I, I had a little bit more respect for the New York court system that you could skip your trial date because you don't like your outfit. Get dressed. We can't keep the court waiting. This is insane. Those clothes are insane. I'd rather wear my jumpsuit. You can't. Why not? Because first impressions matter to jurors and you look way too comfortable in a prison jumpsuit. And the judge won't allow it. It is legally not allowed. It's a bad look in our courtroom. Could lead to a mistrial. You're making an enemy of her on day one. Every second that we delay these proceedings. Then you guess me clothes I can wear. <clears throat> <laughs> Put the fucking clothes on. This is hurting you, Anna. <laughs> hurting me? I'm fine. <laughs> that was crazy. Well, that might have been the part where it was, that was everything else that we made up. No, wrong. I remember that she refused to come out. I was fascinated wow. by this case when it was in the cover of the New York Post. Wow. It was just a surreal convergence of all those worlds that I think that we love. Fashion, society, grifters. Right. It would have, she would have definitely figured out a way to get into the Vanity Fair Oscar party, I think, as as someone's plus one or something. She would have figured that out any of those big events. Or I just mean, lied, made a yeah. fake ID, brought a passport. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that was, there are these sort of charms of old New York that popped up. Rich women having expense accounts at Bergdorf Goodman. Okay, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Gal- Does that still happen? Well, if it did, it probably ended when the series came out because yeah. it was a very loose operation over there. I do think they're probably uh, very valuable customers who have a salesperson who allows stuff to leave the store. And and I'm, I'm sure we both have uh, stories of friends who are large clients where they sort of send a rack over to the house and you keep what you want and they charge you for it. Um, but I like to think there's now a more sophisticated system so that assistants can't put Valentino pumps and Celine sunglasses on their boss's charge. <laughs> or maybe there's not. Maybe also that's perhaps the the job of the person to make sure you're looking at your receipts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The woman that she scammed, which I thought was interesting, and it's very Dominic Dunn and the two Mrs. Grenvilles, she did not report all, the, all that stuff stolen because it would have been more embarrassing to say that I had this scammer in my life that took all my Celine sunglasses and Valentino Rockstead pumps than it would be to just let her keep it and and mm-hmm. and save face. Which was also an interesting part of the series is they deal with that. When you get into those moneyed circles, it's like on the yacht, too embarrassed to say you can't keep, you know, when they're in Ibiza, get off, <laughs> get off the yacht. It's like, oh, we're here. We're going to take it here. That kind of like rich person uh, rules. Where, oh, you're going to just stay on the yacht and you're never, you know, you don't want to not say something. And, you know, it's like kind of keep your enemies close. Yes. Your friends close, but your enemies closer or whatever. You're just, you're more scared of what they might do or say about you if you don't boot them off the, you know, the yacht or if you do call them out. You know, that was a fascinating social language that I think still exists today. That's actually rampant today. Yes. 
Is yes. That- and also the idea of using these charitable fundraising events, galas, as networking events. Mm-hmm. I guess we haven't, I mean, we haven't seen that recently, obviously, because we haven't been going out as much. But I mean, when I started my career as a party reporter, I would go to all of those benefits that were in New York. I was just there working. I should have been out asking for hundreds of millions of dollars to open up my own <laughs> arts club. <laughs> I missed my window. You did. <laughs> uh, all right. In a world where Barney's had closed, okay, which yeah. was, you know, Barney's New York, big moment. I just need to circle back to Bergdorf's. Okay. I'm happy. I'm here with you. Because there's something about Bergdorf's that's now become like a, a stop in New York and in, in like a tourist brochure. You have to go to Bergdorf's. It's not just Bergdorf's. There's a line outside of the Carlisle Hotel in New York. I don't know if that's a post-pandemic aspirational uh, pilgrimage to old New York, but there are these institutions that I actually thought were 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 going to have some tough times, including Bergdorf Goodman or Bellman's Bar in the Carlisle, that I think a new generation of people are starting to to flock to, maybe as as a nostalgia, the way that you know we would have gone to an art museum to see how or the Oak Bar in the nineties, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Everything old, the pendulum swings, Derek. Everything old becomes new again. But Bergdorf's used to be a yep. place where I think people used to go to buy stuff. Now it's like, oh, this is how people used to shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, Bergdorf's Ooh, look definitely. look at all the stuff in the windows. Yeah. And the restaurant was outside the last time I was there. I was I was struck by that. It was packed. Oh, yes. And a lot of those places, Ralph Lauren on Madison and 72nd now has outdoor seating. I wonder if that is just trying to get experiential, customer experience like come for a coffee, maybe they'll buy a handbag or a silk scarf or mm-hmm. or something. While I have you, what is the look in New York now? What's the downtown look? The brand of the year. So what we're talking yes. about last year was Balenciaga. Yeah. Balenciaga owned 2021. They had that incredible Simpsons fashion show. I don't know if you saw it. It was mm-hmm. the most watched video on YouTube of last year. Fashion video, that is. Balenciaga commissioned Matt Groening and the Simpsons team to do a short eight-minute video of the Simpsons coming to Balenciaga for fitting, and they appear in the show, and Anna Winter, Anna Winter cries into a perfume bottle that they bottle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. Check it out. That was definitely the brand of last year. Also, last year's Met Gala, I remember Kim showed up completely covered. Right. The uh, hooded, exactly. looking like a green screen character or something, but but all in, in that. So I definitely think we're still in this post-streetwear, streetwear moment. Virgil Abloh passed away last December, and he was an incredible guy. But uh, one of his last interviews was talking about how streetwear has ended long-live streetwear in the sense that before it was a trend and now it's ubiquitous mm-hmm. in culture. So I, I think people down, downtown are still dressing in sea girls and baggy blazers, men in limited edition $2,000 Nikes. Yeah, I want to talk about the sneaker thing because... Sneaker culture is a thing. Right. It's an investment. It's crazy. And I, like, just going back back in the day, you know, rotary dial phones and call waiting, you know, it was like my first Prada. Like, if you got a Prada bag, it was like a huge thing. And now it's like the bags, it's about whether you have the giant Chanel sneaker or, like you said, the Balenciaga sneaker or the Alexander McQueen. What is it? Or that limited edition Nike. And they are online marketplaces that are now worth billions of dollars because they deal in these 
incredibly priced sneakers. Isn't that a scam or not a scam? Ooh. Just Krista, just... how first of all, how dare you <laughs> mention the word scam in any fashion pricing schematic? I mean, I think it's supply and demand. There, speaking of Virgil again, he designed some Air Force Ones. Mm-hmm. There were, I think, 200 of them. And they went on auction and they raised like $24 million. Someone fact check that. There's no comments on these things. So I hope mm-hmm. no one calls me an idiot. I, I believe, I'm, 90, I'm 99% sure those are some of the numbers. In the 90s, they talked about it bags and how can a purse be worth $2,000? Yes, and now I think it's the it trainer. There was also an it shoe for a moment. And that was more a reference to women's shoes, but... Let these boys have their moment. Now they have the it thing. Well, I noticed like Justin Bieber was wearing Crocs on the red carpet. I think that was a paid promotion. <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> no, but they're giant a... metal. Oh, those are Balenciaga. That's why I'm here. I'm here to fact check you in real time. <laughs> Justin has a Crocs deal. Ah, okay. and which 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 is in a way fascinating because Crocs were really. Uh, we all believe Crocs were the ugliest shoe ever made, and, and how dare you oh, put these plastic the, things in the it was, world. It was like midpoint in the slobification of America. <laughs> the Croc came in and just brought it home, I think. And so Justin signed on to be an ambassador of Crocs. He designed his own um, uh, Crocs line, and the stock price went up. There was a very funny moment. Um, he sent some shoes to Victoria Beckham, and she Instagrammed them. She's like, thank you so much, Justin. I'd rather die. <laughs> oh, Posh Spikes. I love her. She's a, she's, she's a legend, too. She is a legend. All right. So I'm discussing ambition and everyone's personal relationship with it. Certainly after a global pandemic and the world is down and everyone's at home, now that we're all coming out of it, how our priorities and our ambitions have changed. So what's your relationship like with ambition these days? Well, I think we're already establishing that ambition is a good thing. Is is that right? Because there was a moment, and Tory Burch actually tried to own the word ambition because I think there was a time when people who were ambitious were considered desperate or climby. I have not been that person. <laughs> I've always been ambitious. And to your point that you made earlier about being of a generation whose parents wanted more for us and I always, I moved to New York to to live my dreams. And so I've always thought of ambition as a good thing and have defined myself as ambitious. I mean, when I was a party reporter, I would come home, you know, two, three, four in the morning and then have to write the story, you know, sleep and do it all over again. My ambitions for this year. So I had a couple kids at the table. Congratulations. Thank you very much. In May. So a lot of my ambitiousness is around parenting and and essentially not fucking them up we're debating all these conversations you know when i was a kid i would watch law and order svu episodes and i remember distinctly an episode where there was a mother whose kid was waitlisted at one of these private schools and there were like two kids ahead of of her on the waitlist and she killed two kids to get her kid into the school (laughs) and i remember watching this i'm like this show is okay now it's too many seasons Benson and Stabler have been on too long. There's too many seasons. And now I'm like, oh my God, this is a, this is a real thing. There is an insane amount of uh, competition, momager and dadagering around here. I guess my ambition both professionally and, and personally is to keep myself in check, right? And, and making sure. Lean out of that. If I'm going to give you any advice, lean out of that instead of leaning into that. You 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 think I shouldn't kill some kids to get? Yeah, no, definitely not. But there is a, there is a certain thing about that. But 
So in your ambition, like you are the person next to every person famous. So you have a lot of very famous friends. You're photographed next to a lot of famous people. You know, part of it is is your persona out in the world. And then there's Derek that's here with me yeah. now. Do you feel like you have a lot of real relationships with famous people? Um, I mean, this is this is always such a tricky question to think about because... Um, Do you get uh, asked it a lot? People, I often get asked, like, how do you make famous friends? Like, stuff like yeah. that. And it's and, it, and it's 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 weird because I moved to New York to uh, work in, in the creative arts, to work in to fashion, photography, art, art galleries. And the, the successful people in that industry are actors, actresses, photographers, supermodels. And I love working with them. I love spending time with them. I like going on set. I like going on shoots. I like going to fashion shows. I like being backstage. And there is sometimes a condescending point of view about my enthusiasm. And I used to sort of be embarrassed or jaded by it. And I'm not anymore. I love taking a selfie with a supermodel. And I'll put it on Instagram and and that that's just the way it is. But... Of course, I have an incredible network of, of, of real friends, some of whom are front of house, some of whom are back of house. When you grow up in St. Louis, Missouri, these worlds sometimes seem unattainable or far off. And I consider myself extremely lucky to be following my dreams and working and living in this world. And so I am not jaded. I am super enthusiastic. I'm very ambitious. And I'm living my dreams. So... I think that's probably the secret to the success. That's nice. That's that's nice. It's true. It's like there's something, um, and you haven't lost that twang. I know when I say mom. You say mom. I know. I know. Maybe that's my my ambition this year is to lose my Midwestern, I say, when I say L, I, I swallow it, so I glove you instead of, maybe that's, I should work on a speech dialect. <laughs> <laughs> I just will have to say that for our listeners, Derek is wearing a very plain white sneaker <laughs> that reminded me of maybe a Keds. That it's from Everlane. Wore. Everlane is a brand that <laughs> prioritizes radical transparency. Mm-hmm. These, I like Everlane. They're California, aren't they? Aren't they Cali? Out of Cali San Francisco. Yeah. Um, khakis are also Everlane. I'm wearing a T-shirt. The New Yorker T-shirt. Oh, you can nice. take a guy out of Condé Nast, but not Ken Nast, not a guy. And this sweater's from Elder Statesman, an LA-based brand. So oh, nice. So, you're, is there any pull to relocate to Los Angeles, which we're where town, we are having this interview? Chris and I are in LA, although we met when I lived in New York, um, and this place is pretty seductive. But no, I don't think I could live here full time. Mm. My job's in New York. New York Fashion Week's in New York. So, when you were a kid in Missouri. Who was your favorite 90s supermodel? Oh, um, my favorite 90s supermodel, well, it depends on, on what your vibe is. Linda Evangelista was the you know extroverted, super high fashion, do anything for a picture. Cindy was the all-American girl next door. Um, Naomi was the wild one. Um, Kate Moss, the ingenue, the waif, the muse. I liked them all. Mm, yeah. But, I love but, them. I love my, a 90s supermodel. My crush mm. was Ricky Martin, who was at the Vanity Fair party with his husband um, on Sunday. The last time I saw you on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so that's when I think of the 90s, I think of I think of Ricky. You think of Ricky. And La Vida Loca. 
Oh, which a... I'm now giving. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you wrapped that up perfectly. All right, Derek, I'm gonna have to get you back in here on another subject. I, I will have... come here anytime you want. <laughs> I'm confident we'll figure out what that is. But again, loved your piece on ignoring Anna. On ignoring and Krista, Anna. I'm not holding it against you that when Netflix announced a series about a social climbing sociopathic liar, you said, you know who should write for us? <laughs> Derek Blasberg. Let's get him on the phone. <laughs> Um, I'm not holding it against you. I just couldn't believe you. your paths had never crossed. Me I was, like, either. shocked. Yeah. A hustler always sees a hustler, so she steer cleared me. Inventing Anna is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 